When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome to the Jolly Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Barrett. This podcast is for those who are interested in the conversation around diversity, inclusion, and equity. Each week, I'll be interviewing a guest who has something special to share or is actively part of building solutions in this space. Let's get started. Catherine Kamayatek is an influential strategic marketer with years of distinguished performance in the financial services, media publishing, insurance, and fintech industries. While she may have been new to the payments industry in 2017, when she joined TSIS, a global payments company, she was certainly not new to the small business merchant audience. Prior to working in payments, she had enjoyed a six-year tenure at INC and Fast Company. At TSIS, she joined as a channel marketing strategist for financial institutions in their U.S. Payments and Payroll Division, leading conceptualizing and executing strategic marketing initiatives focused on engaging customers, both financial institution partners and merchants, utilizing a targeted data-driven approach. She's an advocate in the advancement of women and women of color in the payments and fintech industries and currently serves as a member of the President's Advisory Council for WNET, Women's Network and Electronic Transactions. In 2019, she launched the local New York chapter for the Global Payments Women's Network. In 2021, she was selected as part of the Money 2020 Rise Up cohort, representing 30 women that are looking to advance their careers in the fintech industry. Kathy proudly hails from New York, is a wife and mother of two boys and two fur boys. She did her undergraduate studies at Hunter College and her graduate studies at New York University. She is a self-described foodie and ancestry hunter and enjoys walks and road trips with her family. All right. So this week, I am pleased to have Kathy Kamayatek join me. And I'm so encouraged by you. I met you at a, well, I met you on the phone virtually, but had the pleasure of meeting you in person at the WNET conference. And you have just held this special place in my heart ever since. So I'm so glad we get to have this conversation. I know you're doing wonderful things in the name of WNET as well when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I figured we would start by maybe you just telling us a little bit about your journey and how you have come to be where you are. 
Awesome. Uh, so yes, my, my journey has been quite an evolution, personal, professional, even industry, right? I am not a native to the payments industry. So when you think of WNET, Women's Network and Electronic Transactions, primarily women in, in the payments industry, I joined Thesis in 2017, coming from a career in insurance, previously at AIG, and then also publishing previously at Mansueto Ventures, which are the publishers of Ink and Fast Company magazines. So varied industry experience and marketing has taken me through that industry journey. So where I'm a a very good marketer, uh, I'm able to then apply that to the different audiences that I work with across the different industries. So that's been an evolution of a journey in terms of industry uh, for sure. Personally, I am a mom of two boys. I'm married to my husband for 13 years now. I am a Queens girl, Queens, New York. All right. Uh, now live on Long Island. Uh, so kind of did that New York City to the sub- suburb transition. Um, but my heart is a New Yorker, always from the city. I grew up going to New York City public schools. Primarily, my education was public for the most part until I went for my master's of science in, in uh, integrated marketing at NYU. That's awesome. So, I, again, evolution, public to private, it, it, it's consistent evolution. <laughs> I feel like that's been the theme that everyone speaks about when they reflect on 2020 and 2021. When you think about life, life is an evolution in general. Evolution in thought, evolution in who you see yourself as. Uh, you never lose your base, your foundation, but you evolve. Yeah. Well, and that must be where our connection is. I was born in the Bronx. So, you know, we got to be, <laughs> there's New York in both of us somewhere. Yeah, it, it speaks to us. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So, in some of the work that you're doing, I know you have spent time at companies both that may have not had diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as companies where you have launched into it and helped them create, you know, DEI initiatives. What are some of the challenges and best practices as it relates to going into a company that maybe doesn't have it and maybe you're the only one or you're trying to initiate something there? Well, it's interesting. Um, When you think of DEI as a just even as a verb, right? Because it's, the, it's these are verbs, something that we have to take action on, work at, do, be intentional about, and they mean different things. Through my career journey, I've been at companies where it almost felt like you had to be a part of an exclusive club to be invited to join a certain initiative, or there was nothing at all, or it, And honestly, until recently, it hasn't really been seen as anything more than HR function as a number, as a ticker. And I say that respectfully as well, considering that has its own value outside of when you think about DEI as as a verb or verbs, I should say. Being in in a company that doesn't have an initiative and being an only or a percentage of an only group right? Being part of that 3%. Latinos account for 30% of the population based on U.S. census. 
Uh, we're the largest minority group. I have been at companies where I am one of 3%. When you think of the population to then what, what's being represented in the company, it's staggering. And being that voice and that representation is also sometimes it weighs on you. How do I represent myself? I'm representing myself as a woman, as a Latina, as, you know, someone that comes from New York City, as someone that went through primarily a public education system. And you start thinking about all these things. And I always have to center myself. I'm presenting myself as Kathy, the person, the professional, the segment expert. Because if I let myself live in, in the only language, I also then fall into, the, into feeling the weight. And I need to feel the weight, but I also need to present where we become best in class as an only. I want to be the best because of me, not just because I represent some of the onlys. I love that. So it's that constant toggling of wanting to be the best personally, but also understanding that I, I have a responsibility in how I represent myself and how I speak and what I do and who I look to to bring alongside me, alongside me, pull them up and even launch them forward, right? Because I'm always happy to see those that, that have come along with me succeed even beyond where I am. It's, it's a personal story to me. So it weighs on you, but you also become aware of it and then you become intentional about how you approach it to the point of representing, I represent myself in in, on LinkedIn. I represent myself on, in Rise Up, right? Uh, how, do I, how do I keep this voice going to encourage others, to make them feel welcome, to not make them feel like the onlys? Because we're becoming more aware that there are more of us than we thought. And certainly we're trying to help each other achieve our goals. And I say each other across a variety, again, a variety of different segments, woman, Latina, woman of color, right? Because I'm not just a Latina, I'm a woman of color. And so I look to my other sisters that are women of color as well. As a Latina, I think about, right? I look very Latina. And I know, I know you are Latina also, or have. Yes. Uh-huh. And most people would not traditionally think of you as Latina. Because you're Afro-Latina. Yes. You know, and then there are Latinas that look Anglo-Latina. Mm-hmm. Or, or much more. And you think about, well, there are various situations where we encounter different things as women of color who can fit into different categories. So long-winded answer here, but it's, yeah. it's always constantly thinking of how do I represent myself as the individual and how do I represent myself as that person that has the responsibility of bringing others along with me so that I am not the only. Yeah. Well, and even starting, you know, I think you're, you're focused on starting Latinx group 
Yeah. So, so at WNET, I'm the co-chair for the, the Hispanic and Latino uh, Diversity and Equity Inclusion Group. Fantastic. And we know that in payments technology, financial services, there tends to be very few Latinx or people of color in general <laughs> in the industry. So I know, you know, educating people, making sure they're aware of what those positions look like and how we can give back. I think one of the things I love about WNET is there is such a sisterhood across the spectrum of position. So whether you have CEOs or senior vice presidents or an analyst sitting next to you, they are just so giving of their expertise, their wisdom, you know, their name, their, you know, all of those things are very giving when it comes to talking to people about their own process and thoughts. Well, when you think about equity and inclusion specifically, you know, we're living it, right? It's a practice. It's intentional. We're living it. It is that sisterhood that drew me to WNET. It is that opportunity to bloom and come into my own that really has has made me want to even give back even more to that organization. Uh, I always consider myself a late bloomer. I kind of do things in my own time. Like I, I've spoken, I, I've evolved professionally, personally, and even through industry. And it's always been at my own time. And I feel in our industry, we're being intentional about the equity inclusion part of the DEI. We're trying. It's not perfect. It's a work in progress. There's probably more missteps than, than, than steps forward, but it's, it is a, we're tumbling through it and WNET, help, WNET helps with that. It is that accessibility, that seat at the table, that voice. You know, I don't feel like I can't reach out to someone that isn't part of WNET. I don't feel that I'm unreachable because of wherever I am in my station of life. I welcome it. And I feel that from the broader group at WNET um, with the intentionality that they're taking the different inclusion groups, ensuring that women or people who identify as women have a voice in our industry, ensuring that that access is there. I have yet to meet someone that does not live by being accessible in that group. Yeah. Being approachable, being welcoming, willing to have conversations about anything, whether it's DI or what your next step should be in your career, salary expectations. I mean, we as women don't really talk about salaries and then as women of color, even less. It's almost like a, am I asking for too much? Do I, am I expecting too much? Am I really worth it? And as women, we go through that. And then as women of color, we go through that even more because we feel like, let me work the 70 hours a week and somebody will see me. And you know what? That working hard is great. You work hard. I'm all for that. You know, you get what you work for. You don't get what you wish for. But at the same token, you need to have the knowledge of what you're working for and be intentional that way as well. So it WNA has really helped me step into, I want to say step into my power. 
right? And maybe that's maybe that's not the right word. Maybe it is. But really step into my voice, step into who I am, what I want to do, who I want to be, and what I want to do for other other people. Yeah. And I think you can have those real conversations, oh, you absolutely. know, with people to really understand what does that job really entail? Is it something I really want or, you know, and I think a lot of times what's nice is not only do you question do I think I can do this job or, you know, whether I should apply for it. But it's so wonderful having somebody's voice just encourage you. And I think, you know, the sisterhood at at WNET within the payment technology space, for sure, electronic transactions, they are all about, you know, it's like a big, it's like a big hug, you know, (laughs) (laughs) But they're also so open to learning. Like everybody I meet is so open to learning and understanding that it is a journey. It's not perfect, but we all bring something, you know, whether you're a woman at WNET or a man who, you know, might be in the minority at one of those meetings, they they really kind of connect you in a way that is just gratifying. I have to say you mentioned men and I have to say this last time there were more men than the previous time. So I had I had the benefit of attending in 2019 and then attending this past year in 2021. And it was great to see that there were more men. Great to see that there were men there that weren't, I want to say, obligated to go as a checkbox, just being very intentional about being there, there's one particular person that comes into mind and I want to get his name absolutely correct. They know his first name, but I want to give you his last name. DeBray Scott. He was there and he was passionate. And his passion just exuded to everyone he spoke to. Passionate about DEI efforts, passionate about women, passionate about lifting as he rises. And I know I stood out to you. He stood out to me as a male in a space where, you know, he is a black man Yes, in a women's network and electronic transactions leadership summit event where while there are other women of color there, I mean, there are still many white women. It's still very much so the, the industry. Right. And so I left absolutely in awe of him, his passion. I will encourage you to invite him to speak on your podcast as well. Yeah. Well, and I met him. So I I know exactly who you're talking about because he did impress me. I'm sure he must have talked to at least almost every woman at that conference (laughs) (laughs) because he had the energy that I have not seen before. Yeah. I'm sure we're going to see a lot more from him. It was great to see that. It was great to see that passion, that camaraderie, right? That I'm here for you to lean on me and I'm leaning on you and we're going to do this work and we're going to take this action and we're going to make these verbs reality uh, and be intentional and see it come from a man. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, not that, not to negate, any of the women in my in in that world in my life, it was just it was noteworthy for this event for sure. Yeah, that's great. 
So then tell us a little bit about some of the DEI initiatives, because I know you have started some in your roles in some of the companies that you've been in. And then in your marketing role, how you've pulled in diversity, equity, and inclusion into those conversations. So when I was at TSIS, and I really have to thank TSIS, and I have to thank the connection that they had with WNAP for, again, propelling me, for helping me bloom, really coming into, into myself. So at the time that I joined TSIS, I had joined in one of their acquired offices on Long Island, New York. And they didn't really have a chapter of what TSIS called the thread at the time. And it really was, it was a thread that kind of holds you together as, as women in, in the industry and women at TSIS. And they had a really strong connection with WNET and a membership, a free membership included with that. And so my manager at the time, someone that I consider a mentor as well, Lisa Ludolph, she introduced me to the thread and to WNET. And through her, I started exploring what WNET had to offer, who the thread was. And eventually in 2019, um, with uh, Natalie O'Donnell, also Natalie Silva O'Donnell, we started thinking about how do we bring this to the New York office? And that Natalie moved on to a different position and, you know, she's been a great success in her, in her roles. But I took on launching the thread in our Melville, New York office. And so what does that mean? How do we promote it? How do we get engagement? You know, how do we bring involvement overall? The women, but also uh, for the men in our office. That office was primarily male. You know, it was finance, it was sales. And then you had the marketing side of it, which was the primarily female side, but you had women in finance that were there in our finance department. So it was bringing, starting to bring that group together under the thread, but also establishing it as its own chapter. We are our own chapter. We are the New York chapter. So it was great to work on that launch and to launch it. It was my baby. I had a committee of seven. Two of them were men. So Ben Raper and Chris Canal, and they raised their hand. They were like, yeah, we want to be part of this. I had, uh, you know, the others were women in in my group, Stephanie Heyman-Junta, Tammy Avalis, and uh, Maria Crespo, and Michelle Matera. They all great thought leaders. They wanted to see this grow. We became Global Payments Women's Network when the merger of TSIS and, and Global happened. And happily, it's still part of uh, the network. Even though we don't necessarily have a physical office in New York anymore, we have a presence. And that presence is represented uh, at Global Payments, even now that I've left. So I moved on from uh, TSIS Global Payments and moved over to Bilgo, which, was, uh, which is a uh, bill payment startup. Uh, out of Fort Collins, uh, Colorado. And fintechs, by nature, tend to be a little bit more focused on inclusivity in in diversity. They try to live it in their culture. Mm -hmm. I will say that. So I am moving on from Bilgo now, but they are keenly aware of, you know, my advocacy for women at Bilgo. 
you know, from an engineering standpoint to a programmer standpoint, even from a marketing standpoint, we have a fairly decent representation that, that can be aligned there. So I hope that some of the thoughts that I've given them around it do progress into, into action. But as a culture themselves, they do try to actively engage. And I've seen that in a lot of fintechs. And honestly, I've seen it in, address, in, in trying to address the bro culture of the fintechs mm-hmm. as well. Because there is there's sort of this bro philosophy in the tech space that as a founder, as fintechs, who's, as startups, they have to try to be more intentional about that. And you see that in the Money 2020 show where you have Money 2020 now has two different programs around their do it better programming, which is Rise Up, primarily focused on on women or or people who identify as women. And then you have Amplify, which is was his inaugural year this past year. And that is for voices in DEI and what's who's really leading those efforts at a lot of these different fintechs and and big tech companies as well. So it, it's an array that I experience as someone that participates, watches, and launches, right? So we all fill these different roles. I'm a doer, I'm a launcher, and I am active. I love that. Participate, watch, and launch. Yeah. You take everything away. We'll add another one. Learn (laughs) as well. (laughs) Yes, it's a continuous learning, right? It is. It is. Fantastic. You know, I I learn also by watching people who I admire and consider my peers and also my peer mentors and those that are looking to see women succeed. So Stephanie Foster and Genevieve Dozier, those two in particular have been really, really instrumental in being that voice behind me saying, you got this, you can do this. Apply to rise up, you know, go for the job. Let me be that person that says your name in a room when you're not there. And that's powerful. And that's something that I want to do and do for those around me. You know, you kind of want to mimic the behaviors that are good in your life. And that's what, that's what they bring to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's why I wanted to do this because there's so many people doing such great work. And just to be able to celebrate when I'm celebrating you, you're bringing all these people, you know, with your journey as well. So we, we are celebrating all of those. So then we have to do is celebrate those that that are in our lives that, that help us, that encourage us and that challenge us. Yes. If we don't say their name, then who will? That's right. I love it. Let's pause for a moment. We'll be right back. So then are there specific things maybe in marketing that you want to touch on? So marketing, when you think of marketing, you think of... I always say you think of the pretty pictures and and that's not the marketing or the marketer that I am. I'm more of the numbers marketer. I want to make sure that I attribute revenue to what I'm doing, that I'm part of that. 
P&L conversation and, and what marketing affects there. But some of it is representation and how you represent your product and how you represent who you are in the images that you use, the intentionality behind the imagery and language that you use as well. So that's something that when you think of an audience, right, and you think of your target audience, you want to make sure that you resonate with them. But at the same token, you also want to make them think. And sometimes it's as simple as an image. It's as simple as having Latina in, at a board table. Right. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as having, you know, collaboration between different groups in an image. Seeing sort of the the spectrum world is. Yeah. It, it's not just a it's just not a monochromatic world anymore. It never has been, but we need to represent that as a marketing group, as a marketing team, as a marketer. We need to be intentional with the language that we use and how we right, drive the message that we want, but also challenge the notions that exist out there. And it's a fine line to toggle because right, we are talking about numbers. We are talking about revenue and some audience may, audiences may or may not be receptive to being pushed certain ways. But if you don't try, you have to at least try. And again, it goes back to when you think of DEI, it's about it, their verbs. It's not, these are not complacent words. It's about the intentionality behind them. So as a marketer, you need to bring that intentionality into what you produce. Well, and I think it's so important when we think about, I mean, a lot of what you're talking about is just the creativity component. Because especially when you're, you might be reaching out to new audiences or, you know, maybe nurturing an audience that you've had in a different way. But being able to get creative with whether it be image or, you know, language really can make a a whole difference. I mean, I know my husband years ago, I mean, obviously when he was little, he was introduced to books and, you know, he's an avid reader. He was an avid reader. But for him... Just seeing a book with a, a little boy on it that looked like him made all the difference in the world. And, you know, he then became this really avid reader, got into history, all of those things. But it's amazing how something, you know, just an image, as you're talking about, can have a, a much more significant impact when you can see yourself in a particular space that maybe you hadn't seen someone in before. I mean, somebody that looks like me or you, you know. It's it's so true. I think about the work that Disney has done. And I, and I say that, you know, I have two boys. They're ages 11 and a half and 10. And they are half white and they're half Latino. Right? I, you know, my husband is a white man. <laughs> But they look like me. And so we've had to have conversations already of, you know, you look like mommy. You don't look like daddy. <laughs> and so you, you may or may not be viewed in the same way as your father and more so viewed as me. And so when we've watched movies like Coco, I, I'm part, part Mexican heritage. 
all of that resonated with me. Yeah. That whole movie resonated with me. And I was able to explain to them a lot of the cultural nuances and innuendo behind it. And I was really impressed with the intentionality that Disney took in looking at the Mexican culture and looking at the golden age of cinema from Mexico, right? The, the Pedro Infantes and, you know, representing them in that movie. And I knew who they were, even if maybe the broader group did not. Uh-huh. I was able to tell my children that's who they're representing there. Yeah. You know, and most recently with Encanto, which is a kind of based in Colombia, mm-hmm. you know, I, my mother is from Ecuador and, and her grandfather was from Colombia. And so understanding a lot of that, those South American nuances, I'm able to explain that to my children. And I think, I think to the intentionality that Disney brought into those movies through Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is not neither Mexican nor South American. He is Puerto Rican. He is Boricua, <laughs> you know, raised on the Upper West Side. Like the intentionality that he takes, right? Because not all Latinos are have the same or the same in- inferences or references culturally either. So it's, yeah. it's that intentionality. If I could say anything about evolution, it's the intentionality behind it drives the evolution. Yeah. But it's almost like you have to have the question in order to have the intention, right? The curiosity about it is intentional. And and that's what's so significant. And so when, you know, you're talking to CEOs or people that are focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion, it is a matter of creating that curiosity in your own mind so that you can ask questions and inquire and learn about things that you don't know. But a lot of times if we don't ask, we never will know. No, if we don't ask, we don't know. But if we we don't speak, there's no way to bring the question, bring up the question. Yeah. At a certain point, if we don't make ourselves visible, then how do we exist to even be a question to be asked about? Absolutely. I think the fact that we're more visible or we're being more intentional with our visibility. Yes. Is bringing up more of the questions and how do I do better in and how do I do better? And then also questioning the how do I do better? You're asking me how you can do better but how are you going to really do better other than words? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, as a country, we go through, we speak about this awakening that we had after George Floyd, but are we holding all the corporations that stood behind people of color at that time accountable for how they're really doing better? Are those diversity numbers or are they, or are they doing better? <laughs> are those diversity numbers changing? Are those yeah. salaries now being put on a level playing field, right? And when I say diversity numbers, again, I'm talking from that HR lens of... Like representation. I have X amount of African-Americans. I have X amount of Latinos. But then let's talk about the equity and inclusion part. Are we bringing up the people in those groups within our organizations to have equity? to have a voice and a seat at the table, to present those different ideas so that we can ask questions. And so it's also understanding as people that are being brought into that table saying, 
I have my philosophy, you have yours. We may not even be on the same level playing field, but let's listen to each other out. To me, that's an equitable conversation. You know, I don't have to agree with everything that you say, but just bring me to the table so I can have a say. Yeah. Include me in that conversation. Let me be part of that decision-making process. It may not entirely be what I want, but at least I had a voice in it. Or it may be what I want because I've made you think about what's really best. Or you've made me think about what's really best. Right? So I think that's where, are those companies really doing that? Are those organizations, so not just companies, organizations doing that? Are we as a collective holding each other accountable in that way without sticking to our own ground, right? Like, I'm right, you're wrong, and this is how it is. Well, we're never going to get anywhere. We've had hundreds of years of that. Yeah. We need to do better also. Yeah. Well, and I think... We need to lead by example. And I think that accountability also forces us to drive resources around it because it doesn't just magically happen either. Well, and it's quantifying it. I just told you that as a marketer, I don't necessarily think of myself as a pretty pictures person. I'm the, I want to make sure that I'm always aligned to revenue. Data tells the story, right? I should, as in a country that has 30% of representatives, 30% Latino population of the overall population for a company to only have 3% is not acceptable. Mm-hmm. And it's saying that. Well, how do I how do I do better? We need to be intentional in your recruiting practices. If you're based in a location that is not not very diverse, we'll call it per se, then you need to be intentional when remote roles open up. Go to organizations that have a pool because there is a pool. It's not that there is no pool, right? <laughs> There is. It's a matter of being, again, intentional with looking for it. So, yeah. Yeah. You can find us if you look. (laughs) I start getting passionate and going down tangents. So please feel free to rein me in. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is great. This is great. I think as we move into this new pandemic year, shall I say, there are a lot of remote opportunities and I think companies are being a lot more flexible as they're thinking about, you know, whether you need to be in the office, why you need to be in the office, what do you do when you're in the office. But I do think there are challenges when it comes to, you know, promotion and whether you're remote or whether you're in person and how that culture in a company works. Because, you know, as you know, there are dynamics. And a lot of times when you're not in somebody's face, you know, they forget, you know, and you've listed a lot of names here for people that have touched you and created opportunity for you. A lot of times when you're remote, it's harder to get that connection in a company from a promotion standpoint. And so I think a lot of, you know, we need to just be conscious about what that power dynamic looks like as we shift into remote roles and, you know, certainly as we're trying to strive for equity and inclusion. Absolutely. I mean, I've definitely heard from 
leaders that they really will only promote people that are in the office. Uh, you know, I've gone up to bat even for myself and said, you know, because I'm remote, that means that I'm not promotable. That means that I can't go into leadership. And there's very seldom an answer to that, especially when you address it head on, right? Nobody wants to have that conversation, right? But you need to address it head on sometimes because, because I'm not in particularly in an office does not mean that I don't bring value to a group. I will say that I think there's a lot more grace around remote workers. There's a lot more understanding. I do think we still have a long way to go, even, even after the pandemic, in terms of when it comes to remote employees, employee choice, the availability of the different work environments. I do not think that, you know, all jobs belong at home, but at the same token, there are quite many that do, or that can be hybrid in the yeah. very least. And so, and then it becomes a matter of productivity and really assessing your teams and the value that they bring overall and the locations that they bring it. So it's not one size fits all and it's work. It's work that companies will have to do to ensure that their individuals are taken care of but understanding that they're not going to please everyone either. So, yeah. but again, it's that intentionality, being aware, you know, hey, I have Kathy Kmitek, she works remote in New York. And these are the numbers that she's brought at the end of the year. This is what she's accomplished. Yeah, maybe I need to put her into a leadership role. You know, she works with her peers. She gets, has influence over the decisions. Like maybe this is someone that needs to lead, even though it's remote, she's already doing that, right? And so it's, it's being intentional about how you look at, at people. And when you think about large organizations, like Avisa, for example, or, you know, I was at TFIS, now Global Payments, there are multiple locations. I mean, when I started at TFIS, I reported into Lisa Ludoff, she's in Arizona, we were not physically, I was physically in an office, but I was not physically in her office. Right, right. So you think about the value that remote brings, it brings a, there are individuals that succeed at that, even in large organizations, and we do it daily. So for it to be an issue, to me, it's a non-issue. If you're willing to have someone report into an office in California, and that person's in you know, Chicago, what's the difference whether they're in their home office and you're in California? Yeah. So, anyway, food for thought. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, these are why we have these conversations, right? There are multiple sides, I think, perspectives from different people. And I love just being able to create some ways to think about it some discussion points. And so I just want to thank you for joining me today. And I, yes, I look forward to continuing to work with you both in WNET and, uh, and elsewhere. So wishing you the very best in your new position as well. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you, you know, for being this voice, for having this podcast, for using your platform. So thank you for, for doing, doing and being intentional about the work you do. 
Thank you so much. Virtual, uh, I'd give you a hug if I could. <laughs> virtual hug, virtual hug. Virtual yeah. hug. <laughs> Thanks, Kathy. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on the Jolly Podcast. Please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.